before we get there, we have Proverbs 31 this morning. Let's go before the Lord once more and let's ask Him for, for help in the preaching of the Word. Father, we need wisdom. Your Word says that You are the giver of it and that we must ask in faith. And that if we do, that you give it without reproach. So we come right now and we ask for wisdom. Father, we need your word to shape our minds, to, to move our affections, to help us to love what you love, to value what you value, to rejoice in what you rejoice in and what you say is good. Father, we live in a world that does not love you, does not love what you love, and does not value what you value. And we, more than we think, are conformed to its thinking. So we pray that you would take your word by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, and that you would renew our minds and conform our lives into the image of Jesus. Might you meet us now by the power of your spirit, through your word, for your glory and our good. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, as a, as a father of four, I've got a, a lot of responsibilities when it comes to, to teaching uh, my children. My, my wife and I both have them, but I as the, the husband feel the, the weight of, of the need to ins- instruct our kids. About, about life. And the foundational thing that you've got to teach our children is, is the fact that this is God's world and that God has designed the world to work in a particular way and that we should seek to follow Him and love Him and fear Him and revere Him for, for who He is. And after that, there's lots of things that we need to, to teach our children about. But I, when I think about my, my kiddos, two boys and two girls, I think the next thing that I think about under the broad category of, of love your neighbors yourself is how to think about finding a spouse or how to think about being a spouse if that's what the Lord would, would have for them and how as believers to, to be the spouse of, of Christ through the, the church. So I think about my son and I think about how to, to train him about what to look for in, in a woman who he might take as his wife one day. I, it's, it's a daunting task because it, it's got to be more than, you know, just son, son look, look, for, look for any girl, right? I mean, that's what the world is going to throw all kinds of ideas at him about what, what the kind of woman he should, should look for. But they teach him how to look for a godly woman. And not just a, a Barbie with a Bible, but I mean like a legit girl who loves Jesus and follows after him. And then for, for my daughters, when I, when I think about my daughters and... You know, when I stand in a magazine rack or you watch TV and you just see all of the lies that come and to say, this is what beauty is and this is what you have to do in order to be accepted and affirmed in this world, it is a daunting task. And I as a father and my wife and I as, as parents, and we as the church, we need to know what does God value in a woman? What does it mean to be a woman who loves the Lord? What does God think about that? We need wisdom from Him. And that is what we are going to consider this morning as we look at Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Proverbs 31. We're going to be walking line by line through there. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles provided for you. We'll be on page 552, 552. Again, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, just take that one with you. It's our gift to you. Please take that. We've been in Proverbs for the past couple weeks, and then on Sunday evenings, we're going to be in the, the book of Proverbs all summer long with some of the, the summer preachers in the evening service. Um, Proverbs is mostly written by a, a king named Solomon, but in this final chapter, chapter 31, we find that it's written by another king. If you look at 31.1, the words of King Lumel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now, we don't know a lot about this guy. All, right. All we know is that it appears that he had a very wise mother who taught him well, and the Holy Spirit 
inspired the recording of what she said and has preserved it for us to hear and to, to follow. And as you look at what she says here in verse 2, she kind of starts off like a, a mother. You would expect a mom to, to start off. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, my son? She's looking at him. She's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're a king. And she wants to give him wisdom to consider his ways. And she, she lays out before him in those first nine chapters, don't, don't chase women, don't be a drunk, use your, your mouth, use your influence to, to help those who can't speak for themselves. And then he, she crowns it off under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with this portrait of an excellent wife. Find an excellent wife, my son, is what she says. Let's follow here in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 through the end. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. The fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for, her, her, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, as we come to Proverbs 31, there's a a couple things that we need to know just as before we get into kind of the heart of it here. First thing, which we wouldn't notice unless you're reading out of a Hebrew Bible this morning, is that it's written as an acrostic poem. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 verses here in 10 down through the end. Each begin with different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's Aleph, Beit, Gimel, all the way down to Tav. It finishes off that way. And it's given by this mother in this way, likely because... It's easy to to memorize. And the Holy Spirit of God um, inspired this writing down of it and and has preserved it for us so that young Jewish sons would memorize this and people like us, a church, would hear it. and, And as we hear it, we would have our minds shaped by the truth of God's Word to know what it means to be a woman. What it means to be, for for a young man, what kind of woman to look to pursue, and for a young woman, what kind of woman to look to be. Now, the second thing we need to know as we get into this is is that this is written, this book, it's it's all a presentation of wisdom from above. Not just good ideas, but divinely inspired wisdom. And this serves as the climax of the whole whole thing of, of wisdom here. The entire book has been about wise living in God's world, and it ends here with this portrait of of a godly woman. 
And while, again, it's aimed at young men in particular to help them know what kind of wife to look for, every one of us can learn from her and must learn from her if we too would be wise like her. One commentator said it this way, The valiant wife has been canonized as a role model for all Israel for all time. That means all believers. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies. So wherever you find yourself this morning, we can learn from her. All right? She is, she's a model for us. So whether you are uh, single and aspire to be married, or whether you are married, we can all come and be instructed. One other thing just to notice is this, this first verse, kind of the heading that hangs over this whole, this whole section here in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels. What he's saying here is that this kind of woman is very rare. She is an endangered species, as it were, okay? If you have her as your wife, you are a wealthy man, more than if you had all the gold in the world. Watch for her as you're watching for a wife. Now, I think it's also good to point out here that these kind of men are just as hard to find, all right? So this is not a just like, these kind of dudes are everywhere, because they're not, okay? Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, A man, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? I thought I would get more amens from the ladies on that, but you can amen in your heart. You're not a talkative bunch yet. We'll, we'll teach. We live, though, in a world where foolishness, it abounds. And it strikes both men and women. But by the grace of God, we have a God who loves to make foolish people wise. That's what he loves to do in his mercy and in his grace. So that's, that's what we hope will happen in our time together. To do this, the way we're going to approach this section is we are going to look at two things. We're going to look first at the root of her wisdom, followed by the fruit of her wisdom. The, the root of her wisdom, where does this wisdom, this, this wise woman, where does she get it from? And then the fruit of the wisdom, how does it look in her life that we might be challenged and instructed and cast upon the Lord for help? So let's talk first about the root of her wisdom. All the way down in verse 30, near the end. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord. What makes her so valuable, more than all the treasures in the world, what makes her so wise is not where she was born, is not the circumstances that surrounded her upbringing, is not whether she got to go to the private school or the best school or an Ivy League school. That's not what what makes it happen. It's about the posture of her heart. She fears God. And this, this shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit would lay it out this way. This is how the book began, right? Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This woman is no fool. She's, she is no fool. She has learned the most basic lesson in life. That this is God's world and he deserves to be loved and trusted and adored and lived for. And that everything in this life is his. That's her foundation. And this, this right view of God, it produces a humble posture in her that sets her apart from so many other women. This is why she is more precious than jewels. Because, ladies, she has a big God. This woman has a big God, a glorious God, the one who sits on the eternal throne of heaven. 
And she has a life-altering conviction that every heartbeat comes from him. That every breath she breathes in is mercy from him. That every moment she has is a gift from him and for him. She fears the Lord. Now, when we, when we think about the fear of the Lord, there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, but there's, there's, let's think about it in two ways, okay? So, so the first is the, the fear of the Lord that leads to eternal life, and then the second is the, the fear of the Lord that leads to a fruitful life. So the first is the kind that every human, man, woman, young, old, no matter where you're born, what time in history, has to, has to become aware of. And that, that is the fact that this is indeed God's world. You are a fool until we realize that, the Bible says. The fool says in his heart there's no God. Well, the right fear of the Lord begins with God is God and he made me. He made me as he made me and everything that he made me, he gave to me so that I can worship him with it. Whatever talents, whatever treasures, whatever time that I have been entrusted with, it's from him and for him. And there's a responsibility that we become aware of by God's grace. But before we become aware of it, we turn all of that toward ourselves, ultimately. It's what the Bible calls sin. Where we take everything that should be for God and we make it about us. And we turn it inward. And, and we live that out in all sorts of different ways that, that ultimately hurts ourselves and hurts others and steals the glory that God alone deserves. The fear of the Lord happens when God in his mercy, remember the psalm that we read, Psalm 45 at the beginning, he strikes with an arrow into the heart of his enemies. Those who are running away and misusing all that he has given strikes them in the heart with the good news of the gospel and we are awakened to see that actually God is beautiful and he is good and he is wise and there's, he deserves worship. But that we have not given it and we are guilty and we deserve his wrath. And there's a fear that comes that he says, fear not, for I have given my son Jesus who lived a perfect life of wisdom which you have not lived and then died on the cross the death that you deserve and then rose from the dead. And now for any who will turn from their self-worship and worship me through the son, you'll be forgiven and you will have eternal life. That's the first kind of fear of the Lord. So any goodness that we see springing out of this woman's life, it starts there. That she now, by the grace of God, has been born again and is made aware that she belongs to God. But now there's also a fear of, so you don't just check off and be like, all right, did the fear of the Lord thing, done, good. No, now there's an abiding fear of the Lord that Christians have. This, this awareness that, that helps us to lead a fruitful life. An awareness that, again, that this is, this is God's world and that, I need his help all the time. It's an abiding awareness that he supplies what we lack. This woman has that. She has a heart that is freed now to serve God, regardless of what everyone around her is doing, trusting that God is good and that he does good. And she knows that because God gave his son. Because God gave his son. And even here in the Old Testament, though Christ would not have uh, come yet, and she would have known him by name. A woman who lived in this day would have known the God of Israel, the God who made these promises and showed his faithfulness, all pointing to the one who would come. Psalm 25, 15 says, Friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Friendship. Psalm 31, 19, How abundant is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, for those who take refuge in you. To fear God now is to take refuge in him. Not just drawing back in awe, which is correct, but also drawing near him in anticipation. There's a both, both and is the posture that we're always having. That we see him for who he is, but he's inviting as a friend to behold his beauty and to partake of him. That drawing near to God produces in her the wisdom and the strength that she shows in this chapter. That's where she gets it from. Fear is a source of strength for her. And sisters, this is true beauty. 
This is what God says is beautiful. A woman who fears the Lord. So sisters, please, do not be deceived. Do not be consumed with the fleeting beauty that this world promises you is going to satisfy your soul because it is fleeting. A number of years ago, right after I became a Christian, I lived in Denton, Texas, and I, was, uh, I worked for a, a moving company um, for a summer while I was trying to do seminary and all that kind of stuff. And um, You meet some very interesting and amazing people, all sorts of God's creation, um, when you're, you're doing moving for people. Um, and there's one, there's one woman that I will, I will never forget the encounter that we had with her. We went in, and... Uh, she needed some help packing up, so we were, we were doing that. And there was a picture that she just would not take off the wall. She wanted it to be up as long as she could. And it was, it was a picture of a very attractive uh, woman who was at the beach um, posing as, as a model. And um, so I, I asked her, I said, so, uh, yeah, so who's, who's, who's the woman in the picture? Now, the woman that I was talking to, she was, she was probably in her, her, late, her late 40s, and she, after hearing her story, she had had a, a rough late 40 years of life. And she told me, she said, well, that's me. And she talked to me about how every day she goes in and she looks at that picture and she remembers what it was like to be on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine and how at that time it was so fulfilling to her and how she had so much attention and so much affirmation and everybody wanted to talk to her and she was invited to parties and everything was so good. And she talked with sadness about how ever since then her life has been about trying to keep that going. And you could just see the emptiness that she had in her heart because it was fleeting. It was in vain. Sisters, don't believe the lie. Don't, don't believe the lie of allowing your, your heart, the focus of your time and attention to be merely on external beauty. God says there's a, there's a better way, something that's more beautiful. 1 Peter chapter 3 says it this way, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. God says the heart that is set on him is precious. And again, this is not, this is not a, a call to not not care about what you look like, just, you know, just, just be, be frumpy for Jesus. And like, that's not the commandment here. There's, that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying, what do you set your time and attention on? What is it that you, that you think about? Because there is a dangerous trap that women can fall into if they believe the lies about what's important and what's beautiful and, and what should I give my attention to where you're going to be consumed with, with maybe being at the gym all the time or you know, maybe, and nobody's told me any stories, this is just a hypothetical example. Let's say that you've got 20 outfits laying back on the bed at home because nothing looks right, you know, and then you're frustrated the whole time, then you're here because you couldn't find anything that just fit right, and then you show up and you're angry the whole time that you're here. Like, that happens. I've heard. And listen, I, there's, there's a, there's a, there is wisdom and balancing how to think about health and appearance and all these kinds of things but but our our world loves things that are fleeting and we are tempted to fall into that trap it is there's a great danger in cultivating just that at the expense of your heart Cultivating your charm and working on your beauty and an ability to manipulate situations and people so that you can, by the way that you act, get what you want. That's all fleeting, he says. Sisters, everything in this culture is calling you to be shallow. Sisters, like David, like David prayed in the prayer, 
Go deep with Jesus. Pursue Him. Plead with God to give you a heart that loves Him and fears Him above all things. Plead with God to give you a single passion to please Him, to be consumed with loving Him and loving others. Help, ask Him to help you to, have, to be consumed with Christ and His beauty and for that to be what governs everything that we do. Not filling your mind with lies that come from all kinds of areas. Some of you right now, like you have this constant influx of death from TV and Facebook and Instagram to where you're just overwhelmed with what you think you've got to be. But God says, no, 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 my child. Be a woman of the word. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's revival in the word of God. And sisters, like those of you particularly who have children and very busy schedules, and you're like, I'd love to be a woman of the word. I'd love, I'd love that. But I ain't got time, preacher, to be a woman of the word. It is hard. But there are ways to structure your days. There are ways to put scriptures up in different places where you are, whether it's, you know, with the sink or the laundry or if you're working at desk or wherever you are, to, to have the word around you. And you can't do it alone. You need other sisters who are helping you to set your mind on things above. I love it when I see sisters texting uh, verses back and forth to one another, thinking about you today. Here's this verse for your heart. That's good. We need that with, with one another. Plead with God to help. The last thing I want to say about this fear of the Lord that she has that is the root that produces fruit in her life is as we watch the fruit of the wisdom that, that follows here, we must remember that Proverbs 31 is not intended to be a moral list of do's and don'ts. Or David, David Verheid described it as this is not a profile in Hebrew good housekeeping magazine. Okay, like That's not what this is intended to be. Rather, this woman, it's a portrait of a God-centered woman. Her, the heart orientation is toward God. And all these other things that flow imperfectly, I mean, she looks perfect here, okay? But she ain't, okay? It, it's personification of the perfect woman, as it were. But as her heart is oriented toward God, wisdom, it flows out in fruitfulness. This is not intended to be a law upon you, but rather something that points you to Christ. It makes you cry out and say, God, help me to grow in godliness and wisdom. This woman has a root that goes down deep into the grace of God, and that root bears fruit. Which brings us to the second, second thing that we're going to look at this morning, which is the fruit of her wisdom. The fruit of her wisdom. Because she fears the Lord, fruit is showing up in her life. Now, in case you, this is your first time in a church and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say fruit, okay, so this is not like you start growing fruit on you. It's, a, it's an illustration that's used in the Bible of just as a tree produces um, evidence that it's alive with fruit, well, in the same way, Christians produce evidence that God is working in them, that they have life and it produces what, what the Bible calls fruit. That's what we're talking about, the evidences of God's grace that flow out of the root of of abiding in him. And what we're going to notice, this, this fruit that comes from her, she's, she's going to be, I mean, her fear of the Lord affects everything, every arena of her life. She's going to be a servant to her family. She's going to be a blessing to her community. She's a hard worker. She isn't going to be enslaved to, to, to competition with others and envy. But she is going to show tangible wisdom that is worship to God. We're going to look at a few of these. A few, in case you're trying to count, means five. Okay, so number one, first of all, she's she's trustworthy. She's trustworthy. A woman who fears God can be trusted by men. Verse eleven: the heart of her husband trusts her. He does not fear her because she fears God. That means his heart is at, at peace. He's not worried about what she's going to say in front of him. 
or to him in front of others. She's also not worried about what he's, she's going to say about him behind his back. Not fearful for her to, to go on trips because she knows that her feet are feet of faithfulness. Not just because he's amazing, but because she fears the Lord. She trusts him because her heart is set on worshiping God. As a single sister, she would be trusted by those around her. Other, other women wouldn't fear her having a gossiping tongue, but they can, they can trust her with, with struggles and pains because they know that she fears the Lord. Her tongue is under the lordship of Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. It's governed by that great day. Her roommates, her neighbors can look to her as a model, not of perfection, not of perfection, but of direction. One whose heart is oriented toward heaven. She's the kind of person that you can can trust in that sense. Single brothers, do not be deceived. Do not set your affections on a seductive, rebellious woman. She cannot be trusted if she loves herself more than God. And brothers, that, that is what so many of us we're just being tempted to believe. This portrait of the Proverbs 5 and 7 woman, the adulteress, the one who is, who is untrustworthy, in our culture, she is portrayed as the Proverbs 31 woman. Do you want this? This is really what you want because this is what's going to satisfy you. Brothers, that is from hell. And it's a lie. And it's a trap. Beauty is deceitful and charm is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she can be trusted. Now, I promised my wife I would not use her for every illustration as we go through here, but I... I trust my wife. I trust her. Like in a way that is so liberating to my soul. And the reason isn't just because she's amazing, which she is, but because she has an amazing God. And she loves the Lord. Not perfectly. I mean, we both get on the crazy train sometimes. That happens to everybody. But she loves the Lord. And she wants to grow in godliness. And she, she loves God more than she loves me, which is my greatest security. Brothers, if you're dating and you've got a woman who loves you more than she loves God, that is a trap too. Because you are going to be a terrible God and you will end up failing and her idol will fail her and then you got a mess. Find a woman who fears the Lord, loves the Lord. Your heart will be able to trust her. So she's trustworthy, and secondly, she's a servant. She's also a servant. I don't, we don't know, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to see more about the P31 woman here, but like, we don't know if she's introverted. We don't know if she's extroverted. But what we do know is that she is not consumed with herself. When, when, you, when you scan this and, and you, you study this, you see that this woman, she gives her life away. Guess what she's doing? Her, she is giving her life away. The eyes of her heart are always set on serving the needs of others. She's not self-indulgent, but rather she, she spends herself for the good of others. And she has priorities in her service. God is her ultimate audience. We've already seen that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything else flows out of that. This, that's the root. But the fruit here is we see a priority in her service is that her energies are centered on her home. They're centered on her home. Now, this is very important because we live in a day that mocks mothers 
and mocks wives who care about their husbands and care about their children and care about faithfulness. That's the wisdom of the world. God says, no, in my eyes, it is a precious thing. This woman's energies are centered on her home. And and you're going to see later on, I'm sure I'll forget to say this, like she's going to do a whole bunch of other stuff too, but none of it detracts from this aim. And she would forsake doing all those other things if it meant that she couldn't be faithful in this place. This is of primary importance for her. She wants to show the gospel to her family. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her life is set to bless her husband. Her main aim in serving is him. She wants him. She understands God's design and sees it as a good thing. She wants him to be everything that God created him to be. Now, pause. Some of you, when you hear that, like that makes you so uncomfortable. And I just want you to know that's because the world has told you that that is foolishness. That's a waste of time. God says it's precious. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He's in a place of influence. And he's used mightily there. I've heard it said that wherever you find a successful man, you will find a godly woman nearby. Like, listen, I was, a, I was a single pastor for three years in Texas, which was, I mean, that was, my stock went up. Like, I'm not saying my stock's great, but I'm telling you, it was bad before I got married. My wife helped me so much. I need help. Dudes, you need help from your wives. Let her help you. This is a competent woman, but she uses her strength to honor her husband. She respects him. She builds him up. She dismisses the hisses of the culture which say you're wasting your life. You're worth more than that. That doesn't sway her because she fears and she loves God. That's where she finds truth. Also, her heart is for serving her children. Verse 15. She she rises while it is yet night and provides food for, for her household. Verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet. This woman's a a servant. She she prepares. She's she's trying to think ahead. Now, this doesn't mean you've got to be super organized, okay? Because some people, some ladies will read that and they'll be like, I'm terrible at that. I can't plan past like the next minute. That's, That's fine. Find ways to grow. Get other sisters around you to help you. Talk to your husband. Work together to learn how to be a servant in a way that provides what the family needs. But you'll notice she doesn't just serve in her family. She also, she looks to her neighbor who is in need. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Her, her mind, she has this orientation that this is God's world and that she realizes that she has been given much because she has the Lord. She sees things in a way that, that opens her eyes to where when she sees someone is in need, she realizes that God had mercy on her when she was in need and it stirs compassion in her toward, toward others. Now, are there seasons of this? Most certainly. There's times where you're going to be more free to to serve in different ways. But this is a heart posture where she's aware. Even if she's not able to do something, her heart would be aware and would pray and would seek to find some way to support those who are able to do. And finally, you'll notice here under servant, she is a servant when she speaks. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She wants to, Ephesians chapter 4, be a grace giver with her tongue. Sisters, are you you helping others with your words? Do you you seek to make 
your words servants of other people's hearts, encouraging them, building them up, pointing out evidences of grace? Do you speak truth? Do you give counsel that lines up with God's word? Or are you enslaved by the fear of people and just kind of say whatever would sound good to somebody? True love will show itself in saying the hard things sometimes. Her wisdom shows herself, shows itself here in serving others. She has learned both from Mary and Martha. She has sat at the feet of the Lord. And then she has rise to serve him. To come as Christ did. Not to be served, but to serve. It shows up in the third observation here. That she is diligent. So we see she's trustworthy. She's servant-minded, and she is diligent. Wisdom is shown in her life by her not being idle. Look at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Verse 14, she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. That means she goes to Trader Joe's. Verse 16, I don't think that's what it means, but it could mean that. Anyway, 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong, which does not mean she does CrossFit. But she could, I don't know. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She works hard. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. There's lots of cultural significance that you can can dig more into behind all of these things, but the main thing that we need to notice about her is that she, she's busy. She is not, she's not lazy. And and, and what I mean by that is is not that she just keeps her schedule full, but she's busy about the right kinds of things. Because her heart is oriented to fear the Lord, there is a, a right prioritization in her life where she seeks to to care and to serve in the right ways using the limited time that she has. She's not a, a time waster. Now, I am, I'm not saying throw away, you know, delete all your social media accounts and throw away your TV and all these kinds of things, but, but this, this quote from John Piper that I've read several times before here is one that I think is instructive for us on this. He says, one, I believe that one of the great uses of Facebook and Twitter on that last day will be to show that our prayerless lives were not for lack of time. I wonder how much time we waste. Now again, I'm not the burn your TV guy, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But there is, there's an awareness of eternity that informs her busyness. That's for some of you. Now, the rest of you who are busy out of your mind, this is for you, okay? Busy is not always better. Busy is not always better. So, so busy sisters, married or not, remember that diligence can be rooted in things other than worshiping God. So, so you, can, you can have a desire to be affirmed and feel important and be accomplished and be noticed and that's not wise diligence. That is idolatry. True diligence, one, a busyness, as it were, that, that pleases God is one that is marked by wisdom. It's guided by wisdom. Wisdom are the guardrails that help to navigate how you're using effort. Just being busy and maxed out is not the goal. The goal is to love God and love your neighbor. Everything that she's doing is, is in that grid of wisdom. Love God, love neighbor. That's fruit that's coming out. So I agree with whichever old dead guy said it, that it's better to, better to rust out, or better to burn out than rust out. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we are busy about the right things. Pause. also want to say that it is important to rest. Husbands, and this is an area that I can continue to grow in as well. Husbands, find Find ways to help your busy wives find rest. 
serve them. I've been instructed by some brothers who do this really well. I'm going to say, you know, honey, I'm going to take the kids. Here's X amount of money, or here's a gift card so it stays reasonable. Head off. Head off. <laughs> That's wisdom too, brothers. Amen. Anyway, so um, <laughs> head off and have a good time. Go spend some time with some girls who refresh your heart. Or just go and read the word. Serve one another in this way. Help them find rest as well. In Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy, which I encourage you to read if you haven't read it, especially if you think you're too busy to read it, um, one of the things he mentions in there that was really enlightening for me was that Jesus was probably the busiest human of all time but that he did it without sinning. And that's because Christ himself is the embodiment of wisdom who feared God and showed what it meant to have an orientation toward the Father's pleasure in all things. That's what guides, and that's what fuels me to want to show the love to to others that, for Jesus, that he had known for all of eternity, and for us, that those who have received that love from Christ desire to give it to others. That's That's what... is the fuel for diligence, at least a diligence that brings glory to God and good to others. So root your love in the fear of God. Make the aim of your work the pleasure of God. And by the way, single brothers who are looking for a wife, I encourage you to be watching to see Pursue a woman whose heart is dedicated to the Lord. Who's not just enamored with making a name for herself, but one who's a servant, who seeks to bring God glory. And single sisters who are striving to do that in all the grace that God is supplying, and you're wondering, why not yet? Keep trusting. Remember that Christ is the great bridegroom, and that he is our ultimate aim, and we pray that God will bring you a husband if it's good for you. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. So as you walk with God, God knows what's good for you. We will trust, and in the meantime, use the gift of singleness that you have for his glory. The fourth thing that we notice about her is that she is at peace. And that's not contradictory to her being busy. That's, that's not, it, 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 it governs it, right? She is at peace. Look at verse 25, great verse. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the future, another translation says. Not a flippant laugh, right? No, she's, she's far too wise to, to, to be uncertain about what the future holds in the sense that she doesn't know that God's in control. And this is also not a dismissive laugh, one that says, yeah, God has good things for me, whatever. No, this is a laugh of faith. She knows that trials and tribulations are on the horizons, but her heart is tethered to peace because she knows that her God is already there. The great God whom she fears she knows is the one who has promised that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. That whatever, whatever pains and tribulations come now, these momentary light afflictions, that there is a weight of glory that's coming. See, the, the eternal perspective here guards her heart in the heat of battle. And when she feels, her, she feels her heart running off into anxiousness, she sees it and she asks for help and she cries out to God, help me. When we fear God rightly, we are free not to fear anything else. Or at least to to fear it correctly. There are things you should fear, but nothing more than God. And by fearing Him, her heart is again tethered to, to peace. Eternity guides and guards her. Sisters, many things will tempt you to be anxious. Fear of sickness, for those of you who are married, fear of what, what might happen to my, my husband or my children. The fear of growing old. 
single sisters, the fear of growing old alone sometimes can feel overbearing, the feeling of being overlooked. There are plenty of things in this world that could steal your heart away from the peace that Christ gives. But again, the antidote to this is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Sisters, study Christ. Study him and his goodness and his faithfulness and his power. And as you, as you see him, pray that God would help you to trust Cast your anxieties upon him knowing that he cares for you. And there's no switch. And it's a process. And it's a long way, Lord willing. If, I mean, if Jesus tarries, it's a long way. It's a long path. But during it, keep casting and crying out for God to help you. You will grow in this area. Jesus said this to comfort. In John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We just finished a study in the book of Revelation on Friday and Saturday night. It'll be available on the website in a week or a couple weeks. And I tell you what, there is something. It promises a blessing in the beginning of the book if, for those who read and heed it. When you get done the book, I think one of the great blessings is the realization that God wins. That he's greater than everything in this world. And even hell that sets itself against the church and against you as a part of the church, that Jesus is greater. And that he wins. And there is a peace that comes when we know that God is the ruler of the universe. Plead with God to help you to see him as big and let that govern your heart. And then fifthly, she is praised. She's trustworthy, she's a servant, she's diligent, she's at peace, and she is praised. Verse 28 and 29, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. This is what he says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. See, all that are near to her know her worth, and they tell her about it. So husbands, brothers, do you praise your wife? Do you? Do you actively encourage her? Do you point out specific, do you regularly, not just on her birthday or anniversary or like Valentine's Day so you're not in trouble, but like do you regularly point out evidences of grace in her life? Or do you just have a critical eye that's always looking and seeing what she's not doing right? I'm not sure if you know this or not, but the word husband, when it's used as a verb in the English language, it means to cultivate. Ephesians 5.29, we are to nourish and cherish our wives just as Christ does the church. Brothers, think of how Jesus has loved you. Think of the ways that he has built you up by his grace. How in his mercy he has nourished you with his, his word. Brothers, how are you following the example of the way that Christ has loved you to culture, that's two words together, to cultivate and to nurture the heart of your wife? How are you doing that? Are you? To help her open up more. To sit down and close your stupid computer and put away your dumb phone and turn off the TV and talk to her. And draw her out. To help her feel safe. To help her be what God has created her to be. Just as she is supposed to do for you. The word praise shows up three times here. Husbands, particularly um, husbands, set the tone of this in your house. No put-downs, no passive-aggressive jabs, 
no insults. Brothers, this is about the gospel. How you speak about your wife and to your wife reflects whether or not you grasp the gospel. This is not just a pep talk or some legalistic. This, is, this flows from a heart that has been loved by Christ. Some of us brothers need to repent of our silence. You need to go home today and say, I don't know how to talk, but I want to talk. Help me. <laughs> you know, just, just go force Gump on her. It's okay. Like, and, and wives, don't be like, that's just because the preacher told you to. Like, don't do that. Like, help a brother out. Please, okay? Some of you need to go home and say, I want to learn to talk to you. Forgive me. Help me. Wives, be patient. Children, are you doing this for your mother? Children, are you doing this for your mother? Show her love. Tell your mom that you love her. When mom does something good, thank her. Mom makes dinner, does your laundry, cleans up your mess. Tell her thank you. Like she ain't a maid, y'all. Like seriously, she's a gift from the Lord to you. Thank her. It brings glory to God. This is where I want to I want to step back just a little bit as we can as we move toward closing here. And I want us to think about how, as we watch this Proverbs 31 woman, how I want to flatten it out just a little bit for all of us here in regards to wise living. This, is, this kind of heart and all of these things, this is not just what makes a, a, great, a great wife. It does make a great wife. It also makes a great husband when you orient things as they should be. But this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to have a heart that's been born again. To fear God and for fruit to flow out that, that brings Him honor and glory. To seek to be faithful to Him. To strive to be a servant of, of him and of, of others as he serves us with grace, that we use that strength for others, that we're diligent, we're not wasting time, but that we, we are about his purposes, and that in the midst of all the trials, that we wait in peace upon him, crying out for him to help us in the midst of the storm. And you know what it results in? It results in praise for God, but praise for you and I as well as the church, as the bride. Listen to this, Zephaniah 3.17. One of the most, for me, unbelievable verses in the Bible. Not literally, but like just overwhelming. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with, by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Is that amazing? On that day when we are before the Lord, the Lord, He longs to be with His bride and He's going to sing over His church. And everything we do now ought be aimed toward that day that He might receive praise. And between now and then, brothers and sisters, guard your hearts. Sisters who hear Proverbs 31 and get discouraged and think, I can never do that. Or you, you start comparing yourself to, to other people and saying, well, she does it that way, or like, at least I'm better than her. Like, that's, that's not what it's intended to do. This is not intended to be a law that hangs over you. Rather, it's intended to remind you of the gospel, that we need help. And Jesus, who is the incarnation of wisdom, who fulfilled all wise living. He is your righteousness. And it's from that position that we serve. Not out of fear, but out of faith that gives glory to God. May God mark us as a wise church filled with wise men and women who seek to bring glory to God in all things because we fear him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portrait of the wise woman.
And Father, we pray for women in this congregation, those who are not married, that you would give them grace, that they would not be discouraged, but they would be encouraged to trust you and abide in you. Father, pray for those who are married, that you would fill them with the grace they need to not compare themselves to others, but to look to you for help. We pray for men in this congregation who are not married and who desire to be, that God, you might help them to pursue a godly woman. Father, let these men not be fools. God, help them to see with eternal eyes. And Father, we pray for husbands and fathers that they would love their wives as Christ loved the church and that they would cast themselves upon, that we would cast ourselves upon you, realizing that all we have is Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.